Hey everybody, welcome to the Vel News Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Delaney, here in sunny Boulder, Colorado, joined today by Jim Cotton, calling in from above the Velo Life Cafe in Southern England. How are you, Jim? I'm good, thank you, Ben. And uh, it's, it's good to know you know exactly uh, where I'm living. Uh, it shows good uh, due diligence and true true journalism at its best. It may be creepy that I'm, you know, you might say stalking, but I was just researching, you know, looking at, at uh, where you live through Google Maps and yeah, seeing what the cafe looks like inside and outside. It seems like a, a hot spot of cycling culture there west of London. Cool spot. Today, we've got a good show for you. We've got Pete Stetton on as the main interview, the winningest gravel racer, the graveleur, uh, talking about some of his ups and downs and not just the pros of pro racing, but uh, some of the things he's enjoyed most about touring the country and his tips for you when you're planning a uh, gravel race related vacation. Uh, but first, we're talking about an older off-road drop bar sports cyclocross uh, we are in the thick of the world cup season now we've got the u.s nationals coming up here uh, in a couple weekends and then of course the world championships held in fayetteville in late january second time ever the world champs have come to the u.s and jim you've been following the world cup and other uh main cyclocross races pretty closely Give us give us a sense of where we are now in the season. We've had uh, a race canceled from COVID. Uh, some of the big names have not been there. Yeah, who's who's leading the bunch right now in in the women's uh, field for the World Cup and uh, for the men's in the World Cup? Well, it's, it's at, the, at this general point in time is a real sort of pivotal moment. Uh, Ellie Isabit and Two Nuts have just been crushing every cross, particularly Ellie Isabit. I think he's won twelve races out of about. 18 or 19 and he's got huge lead in the um in the world cup standings and in other standings but we're at this moment now where tom pidcock wout van art and matthew van der poel are all on the brink of returning you know these three big kings of cross and it's it's going to be really interesting to see if or how they shake things up uh given that they've not been racing on the road or cross for the last six or eight weeks and in the women's racing, um, <clears throat> it's all about Lucinda Brand, world champion, really, who's just on a tear, winning everything. Uh, you've got like the young American Clara Hunsinger, sort of putting in a, a brave pursuit, along with a, a lot of um, the kind of the cross stalwarts like Denise Betzmer. Um, but at the minute, Brand is just unstoppable. Yeah, she has been doing the the world champion stripes uh, a solid in in a, most every race she shows up to now we've got antwerp has just been pulled from the schedule due to covid fears uh look into your crystal ball what what do we see for the rest of the season is it going to be touch and go for the rest of the races or will we have other races behind closed doors so to speak where there's no audiences or what what can we expect for the the rest of the world cup season yeah, there, there really is. It's it's like this pivotal return of Van der Poel and co. Like, so in, in Northern Europe, there's this resurgence of a new strain of coronavirus, which I think over in the States you've, you've remained sheltered from, luckily. And Saturday, Sunday's race, sorry, in the World Cup has been cancelled. But it seems to be an outlier because uh, in Belgium, where the race was due to be, uh, there's no actual restrictions on public gatherings and things. It was just that the race organisers were wanting to do everything to make it safe, and they thought that that made it unviable. But elsewhere, other race organisers are really committed to pushing on, but they have had to, you know, make the huge sacrifice of sort of closing down the beer tents and, you know, shutting the the fruit stalls, uh, which is a, you know, pretty crushing blow for the uh, <laughs> for the fans over there. But Looking into the future, I think there was news today about three or four different crosses in the next month, like really committing to going ahead, uh, albeit with restrictions. And, um, you know, last season there wasn't as many races because a lot were just cancelled or postponed altogether, but there was still a, a very densely packed calendar that went on ahead fine, uh, albeit behind closed doors. So I think that you know, if things get worse and touch wood, they don't, 
then there may not be fans at every race. Um, but I think the racing will continue. And for example, in the Netherlands, uh, there is tighter restrictions and races are still going on there, but just without fans. So I think, uh, fingers crossed, over in Europe, things will keep going. Uh, just it might look a little different, might look like last year. Now, talks. I love the Three Kings title, uh, especially with you know Christmas coming up. It's quite apropos. Walk us through each of those three and how you'd suspect them to go if they were head to head. You know, depending on different courses. You know, we've got Tom Pidcock and Matthew Vanderpool who faced off at the Olympic mountain bike race. Pidcock obviously coming out a, a bit uh, above Vanderpool, who went. Uh, rear end over tea kettle as they as they say and then wout who we've not uh seen in the mix with with the other two so give us some give us some scenarios of how those three uh you know the competition between those three could play out oh that's it's that is a proper crystal ball question ben uh i guess last season they started all racing and vanderpool was the dominant force, you know, like he is on the road, he's really explosive. You never really know quite what he's going to do and it's quite hard to react to. Um, and Pidcock last season was really on the up. Like that was his sort of big breakout elite season. He took a couple of wins, but before that he'd mostly been racing under 23. And Van Aert, you know, he, he's won three world championships already. He was just always up there, but potentially a bit off the back of Van der Poel. But I think this season the the key nug the key sort of wrinkle in the battle will be that Van Art isn't planning to go to Fayetteville to race the worlds. So he's just um he's sort of using cross because he just likes to keep racing and he's he's putting all in on the classics and he wants to be really really on form for the classics. So he's using the racing as training, really, and he doesn't want to go over to America about a month before the classic starts because he's worried about the jet lag and losing kind of road training time. Whereas Pidcock and Vanderpool are like, right, I, I want to win the rainbow Jersey. So it will maybe change their motivations. I mean, it won't change the race tactics, but judging on last year, Vanderpool will be the dominant guy and it will be the other two that are sort of challenging, I think. But Pidcock is also like Van der Poel, who's very sort of fiery and quite unpredictable, and he's very committed to attacking. So I think it sets up a, a really interesting uh, few months. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it it's starting. And uh, Pidcock and Van Art both start racing on Saturday in uh, a race in Boom. Nice. Yeah, I enjoy watching the two of them for many reasons. And one is just the their physical differences and that, you know, Vanderpool is clearly a, a much larger human being, uh, more of a, a power racer can obviously handle his bike quite well. But uh, yeah, Pidcock is so nimble and so quick. And so uh, I know just thinking about back to the last world's racing in the sand where they, that's if that's if wet sand isn't a power course, I don't know what is. So comparing that to something like uh, Fayetteville, where there's, I can't remember how many, like 34 steps or something like that. It's the Stairmaster course, which it seems to be would maybe not penalize Vanderpool, but uh, would certainly level the play, playing field with you know, Pidcock being able to you know, blast up these steps. Not that that would be pivotal, but you know, just interesting how you know different courses can uh, just give different riders options of where to attack and, and, and uh, make the racers, if they're fast enough, you know, play to their strengths or weaknesses. Yeah, certainly, it certainly adds a, adds another dimension. Like you say, Pidcock, like super light and really fast on his feet. Whereas when, when you see him next to Van der Poel, Van der Poel looks like a sort of like a closet, like he's got really big, broad shoulders and like, <laughs> For a cyclist, he's got quite a chest on him. He's like a proper proper specimen, and uh, yeah. So, so the the course in Fayetteville will will make things uh, very interesting indeed. Do you see anyone beating Lucinda Brand in Fayetteville? Oh, uh, yeah, I think it's possible. Um, it's, it's certainly I have the question. I mean, there's 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 sort of a small pack of riders that are challenging behind her and have beaten her through the season, just albeit very rarely. So there's, um, 
sailing Carmen Al- Del Alvarado, who won Worlds a couple of years ago. Uh, Denise Betsimo, who's always there. And then there's a lot of new young riders, um, like another rider from Alpes in Phoenix called uh, Peters. And um, there's a few young British riders on the way up as well. Uh, but also on her day, um, Clara Honsinger, you know, she's won a race this season. She's, she won races last year. When the course suits her, which is normally like a really heavy, boggy sort of just a real tough race because she's from I can't remember where it's from, but a state in America where it rains a lot. <laughs> yeah, Pacific Northwest up in Oregon. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I totally forgot. But um, yeah, she really thrives in those conditions, which may not work for her in Fayetteville, but could you know, in other World Cups to come, particularly Namur, which is a couple of weeks, which is a proper, proper heavyweight kind of slugfest course. So, um, yeah, look out for Clara there. Yeah, for sure. She was actually third at the Fayetteville World Cup in just soupy, goopy, proper Pacific Northwest conditions uh, where we saw the goat go down in the mud. Marianne Voss crashed uh, and was passed by Hansinger there in the last lap or so. So yeah, if, if, if the, the rain gods are smiling, um, yeah, Clara could go quite well. And speaking of Clara, we've got the U S national championships coming up here, uh, December 12th. So just under two weeks out, Clara is the defending champion. The 2020 cross champs were canceled due to COVID like so much of the, the racing in 2020. So you know, the current champs titles go back to 2019. Claire Hansinger ahead of Becca Faringer and Katie Compton. Her 15-year streak came to an end in 2019. And on the men's side, we have uh, Gage Hecht, Colorado kid, uh, racing for Evolo. Uh, he took the win ahead of the Cannondale Cyclocross World duo of Curtis White and Stephen Hyde. So they will all be back all eager for the the national title and Stars and Stripes jersey uh, with the race held just outside of Chicago on December 12th. Our man Greg Kaplan will be there on the ground, so be sure, of course, to tune in to News for the, the race action out of Chicago. Well, Jim Cotton, I thank you for your cyclocross crystal ball gazing and analysis. Always good to speak with you, sir, and we will check in again soon. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Ben. And now I'm happy to welcome to the Vela News podcast, the winningest gravel racer in North America and, in fact, the world, Pete Stetna. How are you, sir? It's good to see you. I, I just enjoy that we're actually doing a Zoom call and I see you like kind of go this this blank face and then the intro and it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my, it's great. Uh, no, I, I'm happy to be chatting with you it's it's good to reconnect because we haven't seen each other in a few months of races yeah yeah it's funny how this thing works you know we've you've been doing the road trip column for vela news for two years now and so in some ways we're mm-hmm. we're in touch that way i get to follow along vicariously with with your adventures and yeah occasionally see you at the at the races you get to edit my copy to make sure i don't like royally piss some people off <laughs> <laughs> it's all good yeah yeah, and and you've helped me uh, this year of like not saying dumb things on social media myself, and we'll we'll get into that later. And yeah, so I just <laughs> yeah, re- just don't do what Pete's been doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm hoping we you take take this this podcast to look back on on your first full year as a gravel professional racer and what's gone well and what got a little sideways, what frustrations were and and how your perspective has changed in your first full year of doing this. And also the want to pick your brain for some tips on how we, the, the, the mass, the gravel masses, uh, should be thinking about some events to do next year and how to get mm. the most out of those. So a lot of hard questions coming at you here, Pete. I hope you're, I hope you're ready for them. <laughs> I'll try. So first of all, I just got to do some fact checking here. I want to make sure I've got my numbers correct. I've got you down as having won 15 races, 10 one day or stage races, and then five stage wins. Is that, do I have my numbers wow. correct? That's a lot, I right? Think, I think so. Um, yeah, it's kind of silly just to 
because we don't have there's there isn't a sanctioned gravel points series and and I'll, there's a lot of pushback and people trying to create that so it's kind of silly to think of it that way but you know i people like stats and they're they're counting but you know it's more just each each event is its own unique asset um and just to experience it so um i went to a lot of events this year and i guess that means i gotta have a lot of um success if you look at uh podium as a success but um as we kind of mentioned i think i think boswell might have a better batting average than me though because he, <laughs> he only did like eight events but i he but he won seven won a fair amount of them. <laughs> yeah so i guess you know are you doing sheer volume or or batting average and then we can get into quality versus quantity but i still think i got him on quality so i'm gonna fight falls on that <laughs> fair enough it's and however you stack it up it's been a full year starting back at uh, shasta gravel early march all the way through big sugar closing out the end mm. of october and now you're on a, a self-imposed what is it month off the bike multiple weeks off the bike I do a month, which is very old school. All these guys now, you know, like uh, Luke Lamperti, the new the new young hitter in the U.S. Uh, he lives in Santa Rosa, as along with Tyler Williams of Legion, and they're my training partners. And they take one week off, and then it's like, okay, off season's over, and I'm like, you kids are gonna burn out. So I <laughs> I do a full month, and it's just, I mean, sometimes there's a mountain bike ride, but I think it's more about the head reset, and I definitely lose a lot of fitness, but. I've done this thing long enough. I always get it back. So you just got to trust the process. And now is a time where, you know, you're your own racer, your own boss, your own uh, accountant. So time off the bike is not mm -hmm. necessarily vacation time. You're no. put, putting together what next year looks like. I've been very busy on next year, you know, again, without the uh, overarching sanctioning body, um, the gravel calendar is kind of like whoever can do the best internet research and follow enough social media handles. <laughs> and there's a few really good resources out there um, that I utilize, but I even have promoters being like, Pete, what do you think about this date? And then it's like, oh, well, that actually conflicts with the BWR in that part of the country. And you don't want to step on a big race's toes because it'll hurt your registration. But there's so many events that you know, there is going to be conflict, but, you know, there's enough racers to go around, you know, uh, East Coast and a West Coast race won't really conflict. You know, for example, my pater is unfortunately on the same day as uh, the rule of three in Bentonville. That said, West Coast, Pacific time zone, East Coast time zone, um, I think we'll both be okay. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard. So just the, the entire jigsaw of making a calendar and how it flows and not crisscrossing the country too much, you know, try to loop multiple East coast races in at once, for example, versus, uh, yeah. So there's that. And that's a big, big project, uh, that I've almost have flushed out. Um, I've almost got everything lined out, um, balancing time at home and sponsor obligations, media projects, and then the sponsor renewals. I'm kind of wrapping it all up. Um, just because, you know, you even have to, with Sportful, for example, you know, they need the jersey design in with all the sponsors on my custom privateer jersey for uh, a really cool race I'm going to do in February already. So um, I have to like line all the contracts out and I'm pretty excited on, on some of the, the changes coming for next year. So um, yeah, can't wait to announce some of that. I was about to say, because that's something you can talk about or we're just going to have to sit tight on Um I don't think I can name exactly what's happening yet, but um, it's pretty nice for me that I've been able to personally, if you're, if we want to start talking about business of cycling, right. And a brand and sponsorships and all that um, this year, I will be able to, or next season, I'll be able to almost transcend a little bit more of that line into some non endemic partners, um, which is always hard in, in cycling, which is, for all intents and purposes, a pretty niche sport. I mean, um, it's a lot easier, I guess, in any industry to get um, endemic or industry support, right? Bike brands, parts, cycling clothing. But then once you can start getting, you know, whether it's hedge funds or automobiles or, you know, koozies or big pens or whatever it would be, right? Um, that kind of is like a little like stamp of like, I'm, I'm doing something right. Like some people are noticing. So, um, 
I got a couple of those guys that are going to be really fun to work with next year. Nice. Yes. That's always been the dream on the media side is to, to get out into the non-endemics as well. Yeah. Congrats on that. Thank you. Thanks. Tell us about how this season went from your perspective and sponsors perspective. Like what was the, what were the most fun races to do and why? And then what were some of the biggest successes for you that were, you know, maybe have been surprises in retrospect? You know, because there are some races like, you know, un, you know, the big ones like Unbound, where it's a, you know, clearly a target for yourself and other ones and other sponsors. But then there were some that might have been uh, sleepers that unexpected, like, you know, the Oregon Trail yeah. gravel stage race. Yeah. You know, and, and the only other thing I will add about the, the non-endemic thing real quick is that it's these companies are seeing cycling as a really cool vehicle all of a sudden, which is really nice. Like, even though I'm there's a lot of companies doing it, but, you know, I get to talk to a few of them, but the fact that these companies are viewing cycling as a legitimate platform to advertise, I think is really cool for our moment. It's gravels moment, right? Um, so beyond that, you know, the, the Oregon trail was the most fun week of the bike. It's summer camp for bike dorks. Just (laughs) it's, it's a, it's a higher price tag, but it's, um, it's, it's a lot more bang for your buck. It's five days of hanging out together. And you know, when you're at a race, you're just pulled a million different directions and it's fun. And you know, you hang out after the race together, uh, having beers and stuff, but Oregon trail, you're camping together. I mean, you really get to have meaningful conversations with everybody doing it. So I think their, um, returning rider rate is quite high, uh, which is a, a really good sign of success. So, um, I really enjoyed the Oregon trail. And that was a point to point, you know, similar to a road stage race where, you know, your stuff would be brought for you from from spot to spot. So you're getting to you're getting a backcountry tour of Oregon in addition to to the bike racing. Exactly. You circumnavigate the Cascade Mountain Range um, over five days and you basically race point to point. And they schlep your camping gear or if you have a van and, and a family member or a friend to drive it, you can do that option as well. So there's two price points. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just roaming campsite and a new new campground every night um and they got like a snack shack and a wet bar all evening and nice. it's, it's a nice. good time yeah and they have the, the the what is it the um the shame the the walk of shame kind of thing where it's you know you have to take the bus home at the end of the day uh, if you didn't finish and you get a you get a t-shirt for this right Yes. Like the died, yeah, of, you know, died so, of dysentery t-shirt or something like this. Yep. I died of dysentery on the Oregon trail. If you don't finish and you can't buy it, like it's only <laughs> for those it's earned, can't be bought <laughs> in, in a negative way, I guess. <laughs> so, and if you survive the race, if you finish the stage race, you get a, I survived the Oregon trail t-shirt or completed or something like that. So Chad, the organizer of breakaway, um, he has a lot of fun with that one. Yeah. It seems like a good time. How about for, for one day, events what were what was a favorite or some some favorites for you um god again it's just like i was trying to pinpoint this down in the road trip article that uh just dropped but it was every event is so different and each part of the country is so unique um i had a lot of fun at big sugar bad luck aside just um they really hit it right on year one with it being just a celebration on the bike um they really wanted it to be kind of that season closer, the curtain call on the 21 gravel season. And even though there were events after that, um, for a lot of us that it acted as such. Um, and it was, a an industry wide party the night after and stuff. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, most fun. I don't know. They're just all so different. I mean, results wise if we are talking only racing it was the the title defense at bwr you know that that meant a lot to me emotionally and i kind of alluded to this in that road trip in that despite you know you said the winningest gravel racer which i actually kind of argue that that doesn't really mean anything right now which is fine and and despite maybe being that i don't really care that much about winning the race as i alluded to it's i view races like tests right and i'm competitive with myself to get the most out of myself and the bwr was kind of that one weird exception to that rule because there was so much pressure on myself from myself that uh crossing that line i actually it was like an emotional weight had been lifted from my shoulders to the 
point of like a a momentary euphoria mm. until the crap set in again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, you know, it's just that was the race that had you know marked my move to gravel in nineteen, and that I was the defending champ and sponsors had signed on in the belief that I could deliver stuff like that. Um, and, and sponsors were activating there with big investments in that, in the race, not in me even. And, uh, they never said anything to me, but I felt beholden to them, you know, and I, there was a lot of media, a lot of hype, but it was kind of this feeling of, if you don't back it up, it's almost a failure. And being the first true gravel season after, basically not getting to pursue that. I, I kind of needed to like make a point. Um, and so all that internal weight really had me kind of, my stress levels were through the roof before and during the race. So um, that was, that was a really, really nice moment um, crossing the line there. Let's talk more about defining success, you know, for, for years racing at, in the world tour or what you know, pro tour before that success was largely defined by your team as far as like here are the stakes here's what the objective is uh now these last two years you have been saying here's what success looks like uh here's what the objectives are what was that like a year ago and and has that changed for you now after the first full year of racing like when you're talking to a, a Canyon or a Sportful or Shimano, your main sponsors, you know, is it, is it just, you know, here are the races I'm going to win or is it, what's the, what is, what does success look like for, for Pete Stetton of the business? It has changed. Um, it's, you know, in, in the team years, it was very dependent upon how a director felt about your performance and the internal emails that they would circulate. Um, and it was hard to always know how, you know, there's races where I got congratulated, a good pat on the back. Good job, Pete. Let's do it again. You know? And then there were other races where, uh, I felt like I had delivered on my task for the day, whether that was making it up the final climb with the team leader or whatever it was. And, and the team would be unhappy, you know, and your it's your back is kind of against the wall for that contract. Um, and it was relying on someone else for that validation was, was hard. And it was always a, a moving target that I think I personally, I, I am a creature of positive feedback. I kind of need it to thrive. Um, and I need that objective, whether it is, you know, win the race or, just stay with your team leader or, you know, just be a good presence. Right. And, and now with gravel being very lifestyle oriented, you know, your, your sponsors all sign up to support you and what you're doing in the story you're telling beyond a race sheet. I mean, a lot of people in the same race don't even look at the results at the end, you know? (laughs) So, um, winning gets media and it gets eyes or podiuming, I should say, and it validates products. However, um, it's more about being an ambassador is, is how I think pro gravel racers need to look at each other. Um, it's, it's about, you know, making, creating brand loyalty and, and being fun and being, trying to be interesting. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. You know, for example, if you want to talk about you know, success in social media, right. And likes and engagement rates or whatever that is, you know, and that's a a tool that you have to pay attention to nowadays, um, for better or worse. And I got more kudos and likes for deciding to chug a beer at big sugar than I did for uh, actually winning crusher in the tusher, even though that's a very big race, which says something, you know? So, um, as the sport continues to get faster, the racing matters. The industry is there. It is racing, but I think companies are still going to align with people who can represent the personality of the company too, um, and shed a positive light on all things. So, so that's. So, I was going to say, so the takeaway for 2022 is more mid-race beer 
if social media reinforcement <laughs> is to be. If I can, if I can pull that off, I think that is a massive success. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's hard. It's, it's an ever evolving thing and it's just, it's keeping your, your eye open. And I guess I just don't even have a good answer except just trying to be genuine and find a great day on the bike and then find a way to talk about it and, and, you know, success in the future. Um, I'd love to continue to race in the front of these races. Uh, I'm still very competitive. That said, uh, I have no plans on slowing down, but you know, I want to do more fun stuff too, more content stuff as always. Um, I have some cool irons in the fire with, um, a plan that I hope to announce soon with, um, some Nike stuff and, uh, some youth getting more youth in the sport, um, which is something I never had, uh, growing up, uh, there wasn't a high school league. So, um, there's going to be success is going to be a lot of different ways and it's just trying to paint a, a bigger picture, right? Um, personally, which is the brand. And then in terms of the brand, I mean, the end of the day, like, I just really like riding my bike. Right. And I think you and I talked about this and I just want to get paid to do bikes, whatever that means, just do bikes. Um, I'm with you. And that's, yeah. I mean, and that's what you're doing, right? I mean, you write about and you, you know, you're a journalist and you get paid to talk about and test bikes and cover races. You don't, you know, the old model of having to go fast on a bike doesn't it's there's, there's a lot of different ways to get paid to do bikes. How about being a, a one person operation? There's definitely a lot of benefits to it and the f many freedoms that come with it. Racing on a team, if one particular person has a bad day, there's six or seven others there uh, to help absorb it. Um, at any point during the season, d did you wish you were part of a team? So, so there was more, uh, more of a framework there, or did you appreciate being a one man band throughout? I really enjoy being my own boss and calling, you know, the, the shots that I want to do, because when you're excited about something, you can give it more naturally. Um, and I maybe wasn't in, I maybe didn't have a, uh, strict team, but I mean, my, my sponsors and my family and friends support kind of acts as that team, whether it's, you know, I was having a logistic issue and, you know, big tall Wayne was like, you know what, like I'll drive and you fly in and I'll just grab you from the airport locally this time instead of vice versa. Big tall Wayne being your mechanic as well as trusted yes, friend. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Uh, my, good close friend that I just want to hang out with. And he just happens to be an amazing wrench as well. Um, it, it did take a team and, you know, if Canyon was at an event activating, you know, I would, you know, park the van at, at their host house and stuff and being able to use their shower. And there's a whole host of things. Um, so I, I definitely have a team behind me that's, you know, trying to help me make this happen that definitely believe in, in this. How about a team for social media? Social media, as you mentioned, is can, uh, a multifaceted <laughs> uh, thing. Can be wonderful, can be other things. Yeah. Um, it seems to be increasingly a part of a professional athletes' gig, uh, and especially yeah. for, for yourself, where, you know, like on, you know, pro teams, there's a network of photographers and PR folks, social media folks that are helping feed that, if not actually doing the creation and the interaction. Um, I'm assuming you don't have a full team there, although, you know, you do have help with some of the professional photography. What were some of the, the upsides that you enjoyed being Pete on social media and, and what were some of the, the struggles this year? And while you're thinking about that, I'll just want to, uh, let listeners know how you help me out with social media struggle, uh, a while back was <laughs> of seeing something quite frustrating to me pop up on social media and my instinct being to, to go on social media and uh, call someone out, so to speak of like, Hey, what, this is not right. And, and you counseled, uh, Ben, why don't you just call the person and talk to him? Um, yeah. which in retrospect was totally the right thing to do because yeah, we sorted it out and, and instead of both of us, not you and I, but myself and this other person looking silly in a public mm -hmm. forum, we wrestle it out and came to a conclusion and life was fine. So exactly. 
So um, thanks for that. <laughs> oh, you're, you're welcome. And I've, I've learned that the hard way too. Um, it's, I'm a firm believer in that just personal connection and, and just, just talk it out. I mean, just call a person. There's not enough phone conversations anymore. It's all text and, and emojis and, and things can get misunderstood. Um, you know, and to quickly back up further, like the whole team thing, I would actually say the gravel community is my team. And I know it sounds kind of douchey and holistic, but it's true. Like these photographers, Will Matthews and Linda Gorette are good friends, Jake Ornes at BWR. And they share photos with me and ask to, you know, to give credit. And I try to promote them. And I talk with organizers and try to promote their event that I can come to in the best way, the angle that, you know, they want to do it. So I think it is this whole community aspect of trying to lift this discipline up. And that's actually a big part of, of my team. So um, social media, I don't have a social media PR team by any means. It's all done myself. Um, I really try to engage with everyone. I mean, if I get a comment or uh, someone makes the effort to type something on one of my posts, I try to give them recognition. I mean, even just a like, like a, hey, I see you, you know, mm -hmm. um, I read it. Um, but you know, if someone gives the time to engage with you, it's, you want to try to give the time to engage with them back. I mean, it's, that's only right. In a, in a, in a, in a positive way, if somebody's saying something, yes. Yes, yes. But what, what about if you're being heckled on social media? That's hard. How do you engage um, there when you don't know the person to, to call them up and, and sort it out? My wife does to me often what I did for you. Um, I show her this, uh, this comment that's something, and it just hurts and these people don't know you and all you want to do is use logic and fight with them back. Because in that instance, you were mentioning, like you were totally in the right, you know, and, and you I, had thought every I, right to be offended. I thought I was, I thought I was, you had every right to be offended, but it's just, you know, like very often, you know, these, these kind of online fights, they don't happen in person because human decency, like if you see these people in face to face, you're like, yo, what gives? And then you talk and it, it's really not a big deal. And I really do struggle with, you know, it's, it's hip to be offended on social media. People want to, you know, find something and there are just causes and things that need to be shed light on, but it's also become, I feel almost so popular that people can't just let something slide too, you know, um, and they have to nitpick everything. And I struggle with that on the daily and I think that's just our, our culture in a whole, um, you know, and, and gravel specific. I think a lot of my colleagues midsummer, I, I was getting comments and the same feeling from a lot of us, quote unquote, gravel pros that a lot of us just wanted a break, it, you know, kind of come midsummer. I think right after the, the SBT drama, I'll make a very, you know, direct point. Um, I just noticed as an uptick in the vitriol, right? And that was a, it was an issue that's being resolved and people really care about it. But I think as gravel becomes more mainstream, a lot more of the online commenters and trolls and all that have also come to the space because I saw a massive uptick, three, four, five fold increase in trolls and angry comments. And, you know, I was being tagged in like, kind of just not even funny, just mean cartoons. Um, even though like I wasn't part of that, that conversation at SBT. Right. Um, I, I think that's just growing pains, but, um, I, I mean, it's just, there's, there's more eye public eye on gravel now. Um, so it's something I really struggled with and I just need to personally get a thicker skin around it. You've talked about how being in person, uh, can help kind of break that, uh, not break the cycle, but you know, leading into an event, if there's a lot of negative talk online, showing up in person can be a refreshing thing. Like, oh, there's actually not this yeah. huge blanket of negativity around this event. This event is actually a lot of fun, and there's a lot of people here with a lot of positivity. And then, yeah, this is why we show up to do these things. And yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of the a lot of the comments for me seem to revolve around, you know, I'm a half decent road racer who just couldn't hack it in the world tour anymore. So I'm should be retired and I'm just cashing in here, which anyone who actually follows what I do is not the point, but you know that, so there's a lot of that. And there was a lot of that for some reason 
right before the Belgian waffle ride in Cedar city. And I pretty, I went there with kind of a dark cloud over my head. And as soon as I got there, it was the, the clouds kind of parted because people wanted to hang out and ride together and ask me what tire pressures I was running. And, and we just started hanging out and having a good time on what has drawn all of us, yourself included to this gravel scene and in the fun communal aspect of it. Um, so you really did realize that all was right um, in the world. And uh, I continually reinforces that, that the stoke around these events after a year off, especially has been high at every single one. And there isn't a lot of negativity there. Um, so it's just, uh, yeah, that's, that's the best fix I can, I can have. And I just think that's, that's just a greater um, illustration for, for social life on, on all levels at the moment. Being in person, social life, not yes. social media as yes. social life. Yeah. Obviously a lot of wonderful things about social media and, and in person, there are some issues that definitely need to be sorted out and discussed and, and debated. But, uh, yeah, there's something about humans. There's something about humans and glass in front of our faces, whether it's like road rage when you're behind uh, the steering wheel and there's a, the glass there, you feel f free to yell horrible things at, at people that you wouldn't, if you were in a grocery store and the same thing, if you've got a, the glass of your smartphone in front of your face, you'll, people will type out some fairly rude messages that they would never say in, in person. You know, and for, I will say though, but you know, for it's, it's so easy to get dwell on the negative, but for every negative comment I get about, I should just stay at home. Um, I also get a, I get five, 10 comments of, you know, it's really cool to see what you've done. Like I picked up a, a gravel bike after mountain biking as a kid. I mean, those messages are all over the place. So you mm -hmm. just have to really remember those. Um, and, and social media is a good place. I mean, it's tool to connect people for the good and the bad, but I still hope and believe that it can be predominantly for good. Yeah, it's certainly a fun way to follow vicariously in others' adventures and get inspired to see places and do things. I mean, like one of my favorite things about Strava is seeing photos of different places and being like, oh, that looks cool. I should go check that out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's inspiration. Speaking of inspiration and, and uh, guidance, what would you recommend people do if they're, if they're going to do a a gravel race next year. I'm not saying don't not to recommend a particular gravel race, but how, how can they get the most out of a gravel race weekend? Is there like a certain number of days you'd recommend people doing? I mean, an ideal mm. situation if like say big sugar, for instance, you know, I noticed that, you know, the day yeah. after you and Wayne and Molly Cameron got out on mountain bikes and enjoyed that. And so what's, you know, if, if you were to, if you were crafting a gravel race vacation for someone, what would you recommend them doing? Most of the, it, it really is case by case, but I would say, try to crescendo your trip, right? Like the, the hype leading into an event is going to be all time. Um, you know, it's, that's the day. And so, you know, I would get there a few days early, you know, maybe two days early and, and unpack and, you know, I, I personally, this is what I would say you do. I think if let's say a race is on Saturday, okay. You want to fly in Thursday to make sure that you have Thursday night to go find the local brewery, sample the goods there, not worry about an adverse performance effect, you know, have a pint or two Friday it's pre-race, you know, it's, you're going to go for a little shakeout spin. You're going to peruse the expo. You're going to pick up your packet. You're going to listen to the rider meeting. You're going to get a good dinner, try to lay off the alcohol for the night, you know, get a good night of sleep. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's about the next day, right? And you're getting ready for a great day on the bike. You know, Saturday's going to be race day all in, have a good time, you know, and then, and then have start having some beers after the race and, and really enjoy it. Um, and then depending on the location, you know, maybe there is a, uh, a really fun touristy thing to do in this new location. So maybe I would take Sunday to, you know, peruse or at least the morning, try to get a Sunday afternoon flight home, a Monday flight for cheaper tickets, but try to experience the local community Sunday morning, unless of course life and commitments get in the way. Um, and that, that's kind of what I try to do. I kind of usually travel Thursday to Sunday night or Thursday to Monday for a lot of these events. Nice. 
Now, how about uh, how about your own event, Stetna's Paydirt, which was unfortunately well. That's the one. If anyone's going to do their <clears throat> gravel race, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Unapologetically, go do Stetna's Paydirt in Carson City, Nevada. <laughs> and and pray tell Pete, why should we do this this event? Um, What's different about this? You know, event? it's I've tried to craft the Paydirt off of uh, the best day on the bike I can imagine, and we have this little thing called um, a well-rounded athlete. So there's no sanctioning body, no time bonus sprints out on the course or at the finish line for uh, placings or all that. Um, but once you're done, once you're done, uh, we actually partnered with um, Wahoo and the PBR as in the professional bull riders union, the guys and gals that rock badass Bronx for a mechanical bull. <laughs> and however many seconds you stay on the bull is your time bonus. So, you know, Ben, if you and Betsy cross the line together and you got to wrestle it out to see who's who, whoever lasts the longest on that bowl is going to sit higher on that results page. Um, maybe just the bet and the best bowl ride is going to actually get their own prize, regardless of how you did in the bike race. Got a new off season training plan. <laughs> yeah. Go find that bowl bar that used to be in Boulder. I don't know if it exists anymore, but, <laughs> uh, I used to hang out with the Norwegian college skiers at, uh, at CU at that bowl bar. And there's these like blue eyed blonde, super ripped Norwegians that would like get way too drunk and take off their shirt and ride this bowl. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it was ridiculous, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, crush, crush, uh, crush Bronx. And then, um, uh, we have an IRC tire toss game as well another kind of rodeo type game for for bonuses and prizes um and then lastly the event is two massive time segments um with a there's a big aid station in the middle um calling it the uh, oasis and you can chill there as long as you need to you know refresh regroup with friends after you kind of pummel each other on a segment or something um and there's no penalty whether you want to leave with a faster group five minutes after you get in or wait an hour. Um, so that's, that's kind of the unique angle of the pay dirt. Um, and we have now had to cancel twice. So, you know, if first year due to COVID second year due to fire smoke. So if it doesn't happen this year, I, I may take the three strikes in your out policy, <laughs> but I'm really hopeful that, uh, we get to pull this thing off. Cause I put a lot of work into it. Yeah. Hopefully it won't be a three strikes. It'll be the, a third times the charm situation for, there we go. <laughs> Maybe that'll be our new our new hashtag. Yeah. So so you can't yet tell us about your the full the full twenty twenty two sponsor program, but uh, can you tell us where you're going to kick your season off? I mean, one fun thing about gravel is is looking f you know putting something on the calendar and having something to look forward to for a good long while. So what what's the the first thing on your horizon for next year? I think the first one is just going to be local because they do a good job of positioning themselves in January is going to be the, uh, the grasshopper series, the low gap race, just right in my backyard, wake up at home. I'm finally going to make it to the rock cobbler in February down in Bakersfield, which is another just asinine course with like running through sand fields. And I mean, you've raced through the guy's barn in the past. And, right. Sometimes um, it goes through houses, pushups may be involved, removing socks, you know, all sorts of tomfoolery and, yeah. and delicious food. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to get out there and do the rock cobbler. Um, and I think I could say, I mean, the tickets haven't been bought, but I plan on going to Colombia for an eight day gravel stage race in February called wow. the Transcordilleras across the Andes, the three mountain ranges that make up the Andes. Wow. So if anything's going to whip my, my fat off season ass into shape, it's that one. <laughs> yeah. That will be a fun thing to have in the back of the mind as you're doing the, the cold California training rides. So that'll be a nice piece exactly. of inspiration. Yeah. So I'm really excited. Uh, those guys seem like I've met the organizer and, um, they seem like really fun people. So I'll be at the Transcordilleras and then, uh, and then it's about hopping into the meat of the season and trying to build out that schedule where it's, um, you know, going to hit a lot of the, the major race organizer stuff, the lifetime stuff, the BWR stuff. Um, and then also a lot of the independent organizers with the big races, like, uh, I'll be back at mid South hanging out with Bobby Wintel, uh, SBT with Amy charity and her crew, um, and kind of everything between. So it's trying to kind of, you know, keep that, um, 
that brand I've built is like focusing on the the biggest gravel races while still, you know, hitting stuff that's close to home and, and the occasional adventure. There might be something in in Europe I'll do. Um not a not a UCI thing, <laughs> but just uh, I'm looking at another fun project out there and uh maybe try to loop it into some kind of European grav. So yeah, it's uh there's a lot to look forward to and I'm just kind of nailing down the last few bits, but um it'll be very I, again, I have trouble saying no because I want to experience them all and they're all so different. And I swore to my wife and I told my sponsors I did too much this year and I got I to gotta prioritize events and spend a bit more time at home. And now I'm just, I'm, I've overcommitted myself again and, and I want to, I, and I, I'm happy about it. <laughs> and I know in August, I'm going to be so angry at myself. <laughs> so yeah, there's certainly no no shortage of good choices for for gravel events and you put what 25,000 miles on the the sprinter van almost drove that into the ground this year and yep yep she's back up and running um <laughs> but uh yeah or he his name is uh Jan Bavon cuz it's sprinter in german so Jan we named him Jan <laughs> I don't have an instagram handle but it's Jan Bavon and you have to say it like that yeah. Jan Bavon yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, Pete, I've very much enjoyed chatting with you today and I've certainly enjoyed the road trip column and following you vicariously there and am uh, happy to report that you'll be continuing with the road trip next year. So thank you in ad- advance for that and I oh, hope yeah. you enjoy the rest of your, your uh, well-earned off season before you get, get back at it. Oh my gosh. You always, that first ride, it's your ass is chapped and you think, oh my God, I, I left too much out there and it's never coming back. And let's, uh, by December, well, January, it'll be back. But just as long as it in time for Transcordieras, we're good. And, and yeah, I really enjoyed the road trip. So, um, all the folks on Bella News, I, I hope you have too, because, um, it's a nice little, uh, feather in my little privateering cap to actually get a, like, right for Bella News. I think that's pretty cool. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you very much, and we'll look forward to Grow Trip in 2022. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that will do it for us this week. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts, and leave us some feedback. If you'd like to holler at me directly, I am Ben Delaney, and you can find me on email at ben at velanews.com. In the meantime, have a great week, and we will talk to you next time on the Velo News Podcast.